Testament reading today is Romans 3, 21 through 26. In your pew Bibles, it's page 941. But now the righteous of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom apart, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because His divine forbearance had passed over former sins. It was a way to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why didn't God just forgive Jesus? When I was a sophomore in college, one Sunday afternoon in Bristol, Virginia, Tennessee, I was driving across town taking four friends to Virginia Intermont College. It was a college for young ladies. Just in front of us, a car started to make what looked like a right turn. His right signal was on it. He was going to the right. So I continued straight to go by him as he turned. And then suddenly he turned back into me. We had a wreck. Evidently, he was making a U-turn, and he had swerved to the right, turned on the signal like he was going right, and then came back to make his turn. The police came and understood what had happened and gave him a ticket. It was a U-turn against the law. But for some reason... All the, the four friends I had and I were required to come to court. Uh, we didn't understand it, why they wanted us in court. Now, soon discovered why. The young man charged with making the U-turn was the son of a prominent judge. He, of course, that judge, had recused himself. He should have been trying, but he recused himself. But it was obvious that the judge on the bench had no intention of allowing the judge's son to be found guilty. All five of us were called individually, and the judge himself questions. There was, the courtroom was filled with policemen. And occasionally they would get up. This lasted for several hours. Occasionally they would get up and go out the court and bring more police back because they were enjoying seeing a judge's son held accountable. David Morgan was one of the young men in the car with me. He was brilliant. He was on a full scholarship, very high IQ. He would, he would take 24, 25 hours a semester he had a four-point average, and as, the, as, the, as David was being questioned by the judge, the judge 
ask David, well, was the driver of your car, was he speeding? And David promptly said, it didn't matter whether he was or not. <laughs> the judge looked at him and said, what do you mean? And so David began to instruct the court. He said, your honor, he said, this young man was making a U-turn. U-turns are against the law. It's very simple. And the judge quickly responded to David that if he tried to instruct the court again, he would be found in contempt. The judge, that by the time their last witness got on the stand, his name was Bill, the judge said to him, Everyone in your car obviously rehearsed what you were going to say because you've all said the same thing. He said, so didn't you all rehearse this? And he said, no, we did not. He said, well, tell us what you saw. He said, I, I did not see the accident. The judge said, well, what did you see? He said, why didn't you see the accident? He said, well, there was a young lady walking down the sidewalk on the other side, and I was looking at her. Well, the courtroom was just awash with laughter, and policemen were actually, it was, it was really humorous. Why couldn't that judge just say to the son of his friend, you are a friend of the court. You're a judge's son. I like you, and because of our relationship, I'm going to let you go free. Why couldn't he do that? You know the answer. This was a court of law. This was not a family squabble in the living room. Love doesn't play a part of a judge's decision when he's on the bench. The law must be upheld. That's why the other driver's father recused himself. The bench had to be just, or at least had to have the appearance of being just. What would it have looked like if a prominent judge said to the person charged, you're my son. I love you, so I'm going to let you go free. You see, that is the question before the house. That's the question. That was before Paul. That's the question in Romans 3, 21 to 26. This is a profound, profound, deep passage. Let's see what comment it makes about love and justice. First, I want you to see what happens. When irrefutable guilt, guilt that cannot be denied, irrefutable guilt, what happens when irrefutable guilt stands before absolute justice, before unimpeachable justice? Paul, in the first three chapters of Romans, was serving as a prosecutor. He was going throughout the world, gathering any, everyone, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, the educated the uneducated, the rich, the poor, 
He brought everyone into God's courtroom. The religious, the irreligious. And he stood all mankind individually and corporately before the law of God. And he found everyone, everyone unrighteous. Their guilt was irrefutable. He said in, in the passage that just before what we read today. No one is righteous. And then he adds for emphasis, not even one. He ends that paragraph by saying, and well, look at Romans 3.19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul just pronounced over all of mankind guilt. Sometimes I wish that we as Protestants had a confessional booth. As I've listened to Roman Catholic priests talk about all the conversations that take place in confessionals, I think that I'm really missing out. One priest, as I read his story, was talking about hearing the confessions of, of children in a parochial school that was associated with the church he served. The children, it seems, would often forget their sins and they came to a confessional booth and they would just ramble. And so this priest went to the teachers in the school and he said, I want you to have the students write down their sins before they come to confess. Write down their sins and bring that list to them, with, with them, to the confession." One young man, he said, sat down in the booth and said he could hear him unfold his paper and he began to read. I lied to my parents. I disobeyed my teacher. I didn't do my homework. I fought with my brothers and, and then there was a long pause. And he said, hey, this isn't my list. <laughs> you know, that's what we that's what we do. But we 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 do it very smoothly. We sometimes look at others in the sense of others and say, that's that's not my list. I'm not like that. <laughs> However, I'm not that bad. However, when we get in his courtroom, when we get before his law, we have a list. You can believe that there's a list. When God begins to read his commandments, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We're guilty. We're guilty of theft, of adultery, of murder. In his definitions of theft, adultery, and murder, we're all guilty. Our guilt is irrefutable. What happens when the irrefutable guilt meets absolute justice? Secondly, in this passage, I want you to see what happens 
when unfathomable love, unmeasurable love, meets impeccable justice. Absolute justice. What happens when, when love meets justice? Look at Romans 3, 25. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Whom God put forth, Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation. I love that word. I'm so glad that the ESV used it in the translation. You know what propitiation means? It means satisfaction. Let's read it like that. Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a as satisfaction by his blood. What was he satisfying? The law of God. The justice of God. This was to show. You're going down. There's two parts of this that are so important. God put forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation. That's huge. Why? This is the next part that's. It can't. It just can't be measured. This was to show God's righteousness. He's a righteous judge. He can't just say, "I forgive you." A debt has to be paid. The NIV reads this way: Jesus Christ, whom God presented as a sacrifice of atonement, instead of using the word propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement, saying the same thing. Through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate, and he doesn't use the word righteousness. He uses the word justice, or NIV uses the word justice. He did this to demonstrate his justice. What's missing here? You know what's missing? In this greatest of all descriptions of Calvary, what is missing? The word love. The word love. It's not there. Now, another place in Romans, God said, or we, we read, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's used there, but it's not used here. When Paul talks about where love meets justice, he doesn't use the word love. Isn't that what it's supposed to say? Isn't it supposed to say it was because God loved us? How does, how does Jesus dying on the cross demonstrate the justice of God? It says specifically that's why it happened. Why did he do this? Show that he was just. Look at Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed by before him and complained, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Don't we love to hear those words? Let's read them again. The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's the judge on the bench, and that's what he's doing. That's awesome. But then he says this, But who will by no means clear the guilty. Wow. God says, I'm going to forgive. But I won't clear the guilty. 
Well, I thought we were all guilty. We are. Moses was describing the unfathomable love of God. A God who forgives those who sin against him. But Moses also described him as a just God. There must be an accounting. The old rabbis used to debate this. How can God be just and forgive sins? If he's, if he's just, there's got to be an accounting. There was a, an Italian theologian. His name was Asinius. He was a 16th century theologian. And he taught that God in his love could forgive sins. He could just pat us on, his, on our heads and say, I forgive you. He taught that there dis, didn't need to be an accounting for sin. There did not need to be an atonement for sin. He set forth a God who loved. But Sosinius did not teach a God of justice. That's not what we see in Scripture. God says, I will forgive, but at the same time, he says, I will not leave the guilty unpunished. There must be an atonement. We see this all through Scripture, and, and sometimes we don't really see it. Now, I've, I've taken a passage that I want you to look at, through which I want us to look. And probably no one in here knows this verse. It's Roman, it's Isaiah 45, 21. Stay on your scripture sheet. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And then he says, There is no God apart from me. A righteous God. What was he saying? It was a just God. And a savior. What happens when unfathomable love meets impeccable justice? And we're standing there guilty. If he's a just God, he must also be, if we're to be saved, he must be a savior. There was a dilemma. What could be done? With sinners like us in the courtroom of an impeccable judge. There had to be a savior. Why couldn't the judge in the courtroom say to the driver of the car who hit my car, in the name of love, I'll let you go free? Even in his courtroom, there had to be an accounting. What if an arson? Burn down your house. And the judge said to him, you're guilty. It's proven you're guilty, but I love you and I'll forgive you. You'd be dead. Are we superior to God? Is there justice upon earth between men and no justice with God? That's the God of Sosinius. He was a heretic. God's love does not cancel out God's justice. He does not say, because I love you, I'll lay my justice aside. We read in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. When our sin was put upon Jesus, God didn't spare him. He had said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
Did God leave off his justice when his son was at Calvary? Did he say, that's my son, I can't punish him? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He poured out his justice on his own son. When I was writing this, I thought about a, a dear friend. His name was Bob Nassif. He lives in Richlands, Virginia. He was caught speeding in Tazewell County. And he knew the judge and he thought he would go to court and plead his case in this one instance. He sat in court for over an hour waiting his turn. Finally stood before the judge and explained his ticket. He said he had had his car washed, one of those drive-thrus, and he had done what we all do when we do that. He had gotten out on the highway and he was just blowing the water off his car on a, on a road out in the boonies in Tazewell County. The judge listened silently. He knew Bob. Bob knew him. Mr. Nassif, were you in this courtroom about 30 minutes ago when a young man made an effort to explain why he was not guilty of speeding? Yes, sir, I was here. Do you remember that? I found him guilty and demanded that he pay the fine. Yes, sir. Do you know who that young man was? No, sir. That young man was my 17-year-old son. He said, now, do you think I will let you off when I have just found my son guilty? Bob looked at him and said, Your Honor, just tell me where to pay the fine. When the sin fell on Jesus, why didn't God forgive him? Why didn't he say, this is my son, and because I love him, I'll forgive him. Because God's justice is absolute. It cannot be compromised. Sometimes, especially in the evangelical church, and especially today, a lot of ministers preach and teach as if Calvary did away with the justice of God. As if Calvary did away with the holiness of God. When irrefutable guilt stands before impeachable justice. When unfathomable love meets impeccable justice. Finally, I want you to see when the faultless stand before a relentless judge. Look at Romans 3.24. And are justified by his grace is a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justify there is a Greek term meaning to render innocent, to render just. It's a Greek legal term used in the courtroom. Folks, this is not a pardon. When someone is pardoned, there's no payment for the crime. He's, in, he's pardoned in spite of his guilt. It's not that we have been pardoned. The person who's pardoned is not declared wrong.
righteous. He's declared free. And it wasn't that God just declared us free. He declared us righteous. I want to look at two passages in clothing, in closing, and we're done. Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who renders us innocent. Who can bring a charge? We can, people, we can stand before God, wretched as we are in our sins. And neither God nor his angels can lay a charge against you. If you go home to glory this afternoon, a charge cannot be laid against you. Not because you're a Presbyterian. Not because you're a good person. Right there. That's it. Because Jesus was a propitiation. And those of us who think that our labors, our goodness, our preaching, our place in the church that we sing in the choir, if we think that, it's what will satisfy the justice of God when he gave his own son. Oh, my friends. Don't plan on being there in that day and talking to God about how good you were. One day, or let's read one more scripture. Jesus was our propitiation. He satisfied it. If Jesus satisfied it, if God says there's only one way to satisfy it, it was Jesus Christ giving my own son and he was willing to do that. And we come before him with, with our labors, with our a sheer folly. In Jude one twenty four, we read this. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Look at that. Underline it. Mark it. Write it in big letters on the wall. Faultless. Not pardon. Faultless. Justice has been satisfied. And we go home faultless. When God declares me righteous, faultless, he will not be lying. He will not be an unjust judge. He will be just. How much does he care about his justice? So much that when he loved me, he couldn't say, I'll just forget about John's sin. He said, I'm just. I can't simply wave my hand. Wink my eye and let it pass. Folks, when God loved us, he knew from the beginning what it would cost, what that love would cost him. He knew justice had to be done. I love the justice of God. Why? Why do I love the justice of God? Because it tells me how much he loves me. Amen.